Part of the focus of sustainable living is being mindful of the impact you have on the world around you. As you have no doubt heard me say, every single thing we do has some sort of an impact. But there are numerous ways to reduce our individual ecological footprint, and I have spoken of this before in previous episodes on reducing your carbon footprint and life without plastic. But I now want to continue that trend by giving you further options on how to live more sustainably in ways that more or less go against our cultural trend. In the next few episodes, I want to examine the art of living small. So stick around if you want to listen to part one, which is called The Pros and Cons of Living Small. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy, he has an earth shelter greenhouse, and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode 71, which is part one of the art of living small. I have spoken previously about simplifying your life, doing without certain things, getting rid of the excess, and going zero waste, etc. And all that being said, I want to get down to some practical issues as far as how we live and what we can change in order to reduce our individual impact on the world. I think it is fair to say that most of us can live on far less than what we do, and that includes the space that we live in. Now, obviously, the larger our living space tends to be, the more stuff and clutter that we have, the more utilities we pay, and thus we have a greater environmental impact. But living in a smaller place has the opposite effect. So in this series of episodes, I really want to focus on all the issues surrounding what I call living small. And what that means is living in a smaller residence than we typically do as Americans. But to start off this series, I want to first talk about the pros and cons of this type of lifestyle. Now, you have no doubt, you're no doubt familiar with what is called the tiny house movement. And now this movement focuses on people living in homes that are much smaller than average. And now, of course, people opt for living in a tiny home for a variety of reasons. And there are pros and cons to this such a lifestyle as well as some unique challenges and but i will get to that very shortly but if you have followed me long enough then you know that i used to own a second home and yes i was also guilty at one point of thinking bigger is better and more was better and i think i talked about that in episode 38 the value of simplicity But if you listen to that episode, 
then you know the work that I went through and all of the details of what I did to downsize my life and get completely out of debt. I went from living in a 2,600 square foot home to a 475 square foot cabin. Actually, what I did initially was going back to living in the log cabin, which was about 260 square feet. And at the time, I was in the, the process of completing the second cabin, but the point being is that I can talk about living in small spaces from personal experience. But the first thing to sort out here is what exactly is considered a tiny home? Well, in certain respects, it, it sounds exactly like what it is. It's a small house that is just big enough to have everything that you need. But at least according to the International Code Council, a tiny house must be 400 square feet or less. It can be on wheels or and easily movable, or it can be a freestanding structure, either with or without a foundation. But the underlying concept here is that it is just big enough for your needs and no more. Now, what that sounds like to me, it has this definitive ring of sustainability, that being having only what you need and no more. But certainly this goes against our cultural trend because this is because in America we are defined by bigness. Like it or not, our bigness is rather infamous both at home and abroad. From the size of our country to the size of our cars to the size of our waistlines and the size of our homes. The average size of the American home in 1950 was 938 square feet, while today the average size of our homes are 2,450 square feet despite the trend of having a smaller family. Now there are a number of reasons for this, including easy access to building materials, government policies and programs, zoning laws, etc. But from a global perspective, we generally have somewhere between 600 and 800 square feet, more square feet of living space on average relative to other countries. And all this extra space has, of course, an increased environmental impact. And most people with extra space feel obligated to fill it with more stuff. And all that extra space means more heating and cooling and extra work and upkeep and maintenance and not to mention the extra cost of the home itself. Which actually brings me to my first point and the first thing to consider is affordability. The average construction cost at the time of this publication is about 240 US dollars per square foot. Now I did find some estimates ranging anywhere from 100 to 500 US dollars but this was only the cost of the home and did not factor in the cost of the land. So construction costs, of course, they're going to vary tremendously uh, depending on where you are. And obviously it's going to cost far more to build in San Francisco than it is in the middle of Kansas. But from start to finish, 
my new cabin construction, including the cost of installing solar and a 240 square foot deck cost me about 65 US dollars per square foot. And that was actually 2018 prices, but I'm going to add on a 200 square foot sunroom this year. And I actually expect that addition to have costs that are fairly similar to what I paid in 2018. Now, just from doing a little research, I found that um, kits for tiny homes have an average cost of $50, uh, 50 US dollars per square foot. But this, of course, does not include purchasing land, installing electricity, water and sewage hookups, and even putting in the foundation. But similar to other people, for me, building a small place was much more affordable. From the very beginning, I mortgaged only the land. I was able to build a cabin in stages, and this meant that I could save money and pay as I went instead of borrowing money. And this brings me to my second point, and that being the mortgage. Depending on how you go about this process, it is entirely possible to do this and never have a mortgage. If you do have a mortgage, then it is for a limited time only. There are only three countries in the world that have the possibility of a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, and that is the US, France, and Denmark. But this is what we have become accustomed to in the United States, but we are also accustomed to instant gratification. We all want to drive around with a real estate agent or shop online as if we're in a candy store and then say, oh, I want that one. We never stop to think about what a 30-year mortgage actually cost us. First of all, you spend thousands of dollars up front in closing costs and various other fees. And then, for example, if you borrow $100,000 and you pay it off over 30 years, you're actually paying $300,000. When you, when you think about that from that perspective, it doesn't sound like much of a good deal. And in fact, the advantage of the 30-year mortgage is weighted heavily in favor of everyone except for the consumer. In most countries I visited, people start small. They, they buy the land first, then they put in a foundation one year. Next year, they, they may build a really small house, and then maybe a few years later, they add on. But the point is, is that they have a tendency to pay as they go. And this is in fact what I did with the cabin and is why I was able to pay off the land mortgage in 12 years. And furthermore, keeping a small, simple place made it much more affordable to build, to maintain, and close it down when I wanted to travel. And additionally, having a simple design meant I could do much of the work myself, which saved me even more money. And all of these factors meant I could do this without ever having a mortgage. And from the sustainability point of view, 
smaller homes are more eco-friendly. Obviously, you're going to use a lot less building materials in the construction, but a lot less energy is also used for heating and cooling. And with a smaller space, you also have to be efficient with your appliances as well. So overall, in the end, you are going to use a lot less electricity. Now, from an environmental perspective, one of the downsides sides to having a tiny home on wheels is the fact that you have to have a huge truck in order to move it around. So this means that the vehicle that you use for everyday travel is going to constantly have a large environmental impact. But if you are going to stay in one location, you can actually avoid that by simply paying someone to move it for you. And this is actually much more affordable and it's actually something that I never really thought about. But people that choose to live in tiny homes or in a large RV on a long-term basis, simply pay someone a one-time fee to move it to a permanent or a semi-permanent location. And in fact, this is exactly what some of my friends did. And another potential downside is that, especially if you live in a humid climate and you build a tiny home, when it comes to cooling, you may be limited to using a smaller air conditioning unit that's actually not very environmentally friendly. And speaking of being eco-friendly, if you're using a lot less electricity, that makes going with renewable energy source so much easier. This is the primary reason that my solar array was easy for me to purchase and set up. And truly, you simply just cannot go wrong with living off of renewable energy. Because once the system is paid for, you're getting your electricity for free. And based on what my closest neighbors pay for electricity, my solar array paid for itself in approximately two years. One other benefit of living in a tiny home, and this is something that I'm very well acquainted with, and that is living a minimalistic lifestyle. When I downsized from my second home, I literally got rid of 75% of my personal possessions. With living in the cabin, every single item in there has, has a purpose. In fact, things usually have more than one function because otherwise it just gets in the way and I end up getting rid of it. But there are also this also prevents me from making unnecessary purchases because there is literally no place to put it anyway. And if you have a tiny home that's on wheels, the best part is that it is completely self-contained. This means that you can easily move it to a new location when desired. And if you decide to take a vacation, you can actually take your house with you. So in many ways, you combine the best features of a house and a camper. And the advantage to a tiny home versus an RV is that you can literally customize it to fit your taste. Now, there's also a hidden disadvantage here. 
that from a legal perspective, tiny homes kind of fall in this gray area. And to make things more frustrating, rules and regulations vary according to your location and are simply not consistent. Tiny homes are sometimes considered RVs by the municipality, yet the RV park doesn't consider them to be an RV. Deciding on a permanent location may bring some other challenges due to zoning code black holes and red tape. And this is something you simply need to look into before considering a tiny home. Now, truly one of my favorite things about living in a small place is that cleaning and maintenance is far easier than a traditional home. And I know for me, when it comes to cleaning the cabin, it takes well under an hour. However, the true disadvantage is that you have to constantly clean. Sometimes at the cabin, I find I have to sweep the floor several times a day because dirt always accumulates. And this is even worse when I live in the travel trailer for months. There is literally just enough space to live and you have to clean the floor and keep dishes washed and put away and keep yourself extremely well organized. And you truly cannot leave things sitting out because it would just be in the way. And it takes no time at all when you live in a small space before it literally will start to look like a tornado zone. But as far as cooking is concerned, which I have a tendency to do, to do a lot of, there, this is one thing I've noticed about living in the cabin versus working and living in the travel trailer. And you know, while the, the cabin is truly set up for maximum efficiency, it is also set up for maximum functionality. So what this means is that we can do all the same things you would do if living in a larger home, and that includes meal preparation. But when I travel for work and live in a travel trailer, that is when I feel as if I'm living in a tiny home. So I cook much more often when in the travel trailer. And the advantage, of course, is that I don't really eat a lot of leftovers because meals are eaten fresh almost every day. But I'm cooking with fresh ingredients every day and I purchase vegetables and other ingredients in smaller quantities, which does help to almost completely eliminate any sort of food waste. But this mostly has to do with a lack of storage space. My refrigerator is very small and I have a limited number of cabinets. And this means I have to cook more frequently. And to some degree, I've, I've solved this problem by using storage bins that fit under the travel trailer but it is difficult at best to buy things in bulk and thus reduce the amount of food packaging waste. So in that respect, I do have a greater ecological impact. Another true advantage to living simple is that you also use a lot less water. With three people in our household, and taking care of the dogs and the chickens and the turkeys, we literally use 75% less water than the average American household. 
And one of the reasons for this is that we don't have standard water and sewer connections. We have a designated area that catches gray water and we use a composting toilet. And this alone eliminates one of the biggest wasteful practices in our modern lifestyle, and that is using fresh, clean water to simply flush the toilet. But of course, there is a downside to having a composting toilet, and that is you have to manually empty it. So this is not exactly a pleasant task, and we usually take turns doing it, and once emptied, you also have to have a place to put the compost. And fortunately for us, we live on 46 acres, so that has never really been a problem. And personally, one of my favorite things about living in a small cabin is the outdoors becomes an extension of our living space. While at home, weather permitting, I leave the doors open and often spend a lot of time working on the, uh, at the table that's out on the deck. And especially during the warmer time of the year, the deck literally becomes an extension of our living space. And this actually is one of the reasons I'm adding on a sunroom to the cabin this year, so that we can have additional living space that's more or less closely similar to being outside. But a downside to this, of course, depending on your personality, if there is poor weather for several days in a row, then you are stuck indoors in tight quarters with other people and living in a small space truly can become frustrating. And consequently, finding your own space at times can be extremely difficult. But this is one of the reasons I'm going to add on that sunroom to the cabin this year. You know, I must say at this point that I do find it somewhat humorous that I was living in a 100 square foot cabin long before living in tiny spaces became the trend. Now, eventually, of course, I, I added on to the log cabin and even built a newer, larger cabin. But however, even the newer cabin is only 470 square feet and I share that living space with Annette, two dogs, and a cat. And Annette's son actually lives in the log cabin. So what I've tried to accomplish in this episode is to give you some practical, practical considerations for what I call living small. Now, I must say that people who opt for living small do so for a variety of reasons and obviously there are truly a number of benefits for choosing to do so but there are also some unique challenges the point being is that this is a lifestyle choice just as living off the grid is a lifestyle choice which of course has some unique challenges choosing to live small is a lifestyle choice Choosing to live more sustainably is a lifestyle choice as well, which also brings some unique challenges. I must also admit that as I watched the boom of the tiny house movement, I just kept wondering if the average person actually realizes or even appreciates 
the challenges of living small. Because speaking from personal experience, I will be the first to admit that it can be challenging and there are distinct trade-offs. But that said, there are several reasons that I built the cabins the way that I did. And while building the log cabin, I was working completely alone and doing logging work by myself was physically strenuous and even downright dangerous at times. And even with using hoists, the largest logs I could handle were about 16 feet in length and consequently this limited the size of the cabin. But this was not really the case with the newer cabin because it was just standard construction. But another reason for building the way that I did was for maximum efficiency and simplicity. And additionally, I could build in stages and pay cash as I went. Now, we have been really creative in finding ways to deal with such a small living space. Uh, consequently, I added on the deck, which became an extension of our living space. I built the greenhouse, which is a place where we both go to spend time. And we both also spend a lot of time outside. And of course, this year I'm going to add on that sunroom, which will give us another 200 square feet of living space. So from the perspective of sustainability, it is obvious that most of us can live well on far less than what we do. For us, living in a smaller place means we are debt free. There is very little upkeep and maintenance. And it's super easy to close the place down if we want to travel for fun or for work. We have managed to create a simple lifestyle with little, if any, excess, yet have a very good standard of living. From a personal perspective, I enjoy having a small place that is easy to maintain, yet I have 46 acres around me that helps to maintain our privacy. So despite the challenges, a huge upside to how we live is that we truly have very little responsibility. And consequently, we have a lot of personal time and a lot of free time to work on other things that make our lifestyle much more sustainable. And one thing about American culture that I don't appreciate is such a strong focus on having excess material possessions. I think it is easy to get sucked into that sort of mindset, and I have certainly been guilty of it as well. But what we never stop to think about is just how that produces even more obligations and responsibilities that drain us of so much of our personal time. So in the end, folks, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode, which is the first in a series of podcasts on living small and how that lifestyle is much more sustainable. So coming up in the next episode, I'm going to discuss all of the things that no one tells you about tiny home living. But for now, folks, this is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. Always remember to live sustainably because this is how 
we build a better future.